I am glad that you are here today because today we continue in a series called One as we look at some of the deepest questions and longings of our heart. And today we're going to address an issue that touches every one of us. And I know that some of the things that we're going to talk about today are going to be striking to you. They're going to, they're going to impact. I, I believe they're going to be impactful to you because it's something that's universal. I know it's been super impactful to me. But before we do that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to join our church family in something that we're doing. We're on our second week of 77 days of prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we started the 77 days of prayer. We as a church family are asking God to reveal to us what it is he wants for us as a church family in this next season of ministry. If you haven't had an opportunity to sign up yet and to join us in that 77 days of prayer, in the back of the seat in front of you is a card with that logo on the top, and you can let us know uh, that you're committing to joining us in this season of prayer, but also we send out weekly reminders. They're usually on Mondays, and we can do that uh, whether it be through text or email. And what we're sending out is a prompt. It's a, it's a, it's a guiding prayer for the week is we want to be a church family that's unified in prayer. We'd love to have you join us in that. You can fill out that card and drop it in the metal boxes next to the exit doors on your way out this morning. I'd love the opportunity for you to join us as we pray together as a church family. And today, we're asking this deep, oftentimes abiding question that impacts every one of us. It's a question that shapes us. It's a question that we go to time and time again as a people. And that is this question. Can anyone make sense of our suffering? Because every one of us suffers. This question is so important. No matter where you're at, no matter who you are, we endure suffering to one degree or the other, in one form or the other. As I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, just recounting things that I know, stories that I've been told, I, I think about the Middle Eastern man in Syria who's standing over top of the rubble of his bombed home, crying out, not because his home has been destroyed, but because the bodies of his family lie underneath the rubble. And in the ancient language of Syriac, a cousin of Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke, he's crying out, God, why? I think about the Central American mother who huddles in a corner with her three young children hiding from the cartel that's seeking to take their life because they think she's ratted them out. I think about the little girl who's standing bedside in the hospital watching as the disease that grips her father tightens its grip on him as he grows frail thin. I think also about the father and son in our community who were denied service recently at a restaurant because of the color of their skin. I think about our community and the mom who was recently at a courthouse praying out to God out loud, why is my son being tried for a crime he did not commit? And as she waits for the outcome of this court's decision, she agonizes. I think about the children that have buried their parents. I think about the parents that have buried their children. No matter who you are, suffering impacts us all. And so this question 
Who, can anyone make sense of our suffering? We bring this question to Jesus, hoping that he has some answer. There are many of us even here right now, never thought we'd step foot in a church, but because suffering has so dramatically impacted our lives, we're here wondering if this Jesus person has anything on offer as it relates to our suffering. And so here's what we're gonna do. We are going to look today at the ancient, an ancient uh, letter written by a person who converted. They, they, they started following Jesus later in life. They were kind of heading in one direction. Then they had this experience with Jesus, and this person made the choice, I'm going to leave my old life behind, I'm going to start following Jesus. And this person who wrote this ancient letter, they're actually writing to a group of other Jesus followers who are in the middle of suffering. It's a letter that we call Philippians. It's written by a person named Paul. And Paul writes to this group of people that he knows in a place called Philippi. That's why we call the letter Philippians. Yeah, I already gave you guys the answer. So you guys are super sharp this morning. And he writes to these people in a place called Philippi. And he engages with this question. Can anyone make sense of our suffering? And the first thing that we ask is this, how do we suffer? So we're gonna be in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Philippians chapter one. I'd encourage you to join me there, but I'm gonna have it up on the screens as well. This is Philippians one. We can put it up on the screen. This is what that author, Paul, who started following Jesus later in life is writing to another group of Jesus followers. He says this, you are all partners with me in grace, both in my, what's the word? No, stop that. I did this, I gave you all the implications that I was ready for an out loud response, and you remained quiet. So knock it off. We're gonna do this again, okay? You with me, fam? Here we go. Like I'm up here working, I need you guys to help me out a little bit. You are all prisoners with me in grace, both in my? Great job. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I, what, miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. How do we suffer? Why are we even looking at this particular portion? Notice two things in the author's life. What he says is this. What's his current status? He's in jail. Now, uh, given, uh, given your understanding of uh, the Roman Empire... I know that many of us have robust understandings, and some of us watch Gladiator. That's me. Given your understanding of the ancient Roman Empire, do you think prison was a fun place to be? Talk to me. No. Like, we know historically that any person who's in prison, especially in these kinds of circumstances, would have been subject to things like getting their butt kicked whenever whenever the guards felt like it, being denied food and water, being tortured just for the fun of it. It was a completely broken and unjust system. This penal system, imprisonment meant more than just being uh, contained or sequestered away from society. This likely meant that the author here who's writing this was getting their face kicked in frequently. In fact, we know that from some of their later writings. So in my imprisonment, and then there's a second form of suffering that they're going through. Do you see it here? I miss all of you. How many of you know what it's like to to so long to be with somebody that actually consumes you. It actually feels like your heart is just being broken into two. 
There's a variety of ways that we suffer. So we could take a look at them. Now, I'm not going to put all of them up here on the screen because there are myriad ways that we suffer. And I know that many of you have suffered more profoundly and exponentially uh, harsher than I have. And so I'm not up here saying I've suffered the most. I know that many of you would never say something like that. And so what I'm about to put up here is just to get our minds around this idea of suffering in its various forms. Here we go. One of the first forms of suffering are things that some people call, like philosophers call it, like natural evil. Just things that kind of occur in nature, things that happen to us, things that uh, happen out there in the world. You oftentimes see it in the news referred to as an act of God. Things like disaster, hurricane, tornado, earthquake, drought, country music. These are things that happen, they're, they're natural evil. The second one, and many of you, many of you, and I know that, and we've been praying for a lot of you, especially those of you who recently found out that the sickness has taken hold in your bodies. And so whether it's terminal or chronic, you know that sickness can oftentimes cause suffering. And then of course, mourning. Just mourning the loss. Sometimes that's mourning the loss of a stage of life. Sometimes that's mourning the loss of a career. Sometimes that's mourning the loss of a relationship. Oftentimes it's mourning the loss of a person that's no longer here. These are, these are phenomena that occur kind of naturally, so to speak. But then there's a second type of suffering. We can have it here on the screen. There's things that other people do to us. Many of you know what it's like to suffer under the hands of an abuser. Others know what it's like to feel oppression, whether it's individual or systematic. Especially my brothers and sisters in the room who are from minority culture, I know that for many of your family's story, it's a story of systematic oppression. And it's woven together inside the roots of your family tree. And there is others of us who suffer injustice, whether that's an individual circumstance or the insidious systemic injustices that those in power turn a blind eye to. So we can suffer the consequences of natural evil, so to speak. We also suffer at the hands of others, but still yet there is a deep form of suffering. And it's the suffering that occurs within us, like fear, Fear of the unknown, fear of what's next, fear of confrontation, fear of not being who you think you are, fear of of being found out. Some of us feel the existential dread. Some call it the hungering dark or the call of the abyss. It's that feeling that you don't, it's so strong you just don't quite have words for, but it's almost like the eternal abyss is pulling at your very soul. Now, as consumeristic uh, uh, people living in Western society, usually what we choose to do is buy something to mask over the call of the deep, the call of the abyss, right? Y'all with me on this? 90% of the commercials that are shown to you are trying to answer this question. Because you're busy asking, who am I? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And it's like, buy this candy bar. Have you purchased this magazine? You know what you need is a new car. But you get that magazine, you get that candy bar, you get that new car, and after a while, you know where it starts scratching at the door again? It's the call of the abyss. It's your own mortality. It's existential dread. And then there's this really interesting one, and you see it in the life of the author, Paul. It's empathy. Now, some of you are jerks, but for the rest of you, you... Hey, I'm the pastor here. I know most of you, so... 
It's about 30%, by the way. I've been keeping track. (laughs) There are many of us who when a friend or when the oppressed or when the outsider experiences suffering, we enter into that suffering and take it on ourselves. Empathy is is a form of suffering that oftentimes doesn't get talked about because it's not... Hear me on this. I'm going to tread real lightly. It, it's not something that directly happens to you, but it happens to those around you. It happens to those we love. It happens to those with whom we empathize. And so we take on some of that pain. It is truly a form of suffering with. And so we suffer. Do you guys know that, by the way? Talk to me. You guys know that we suffer? Yeah. Y'all ever suffered before? Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're self-aware. This leads me to the next question. What is the end of suffering? Like, what's the goal? What's the point? Here's a couple of options that are kind of popular out there. Number one, you and I are nothing more than the products of random chance. We are just sacks of chemicals. Therefore, suffering isn't even a thing. It's just a human construct that we made up to, uh, to talk about things that we just find unpleasurable. So for those of us that are materialists, for those of us that are, that are saying the only thing that exists in the world is matter, materialists, suffering isn't actually a thing. Also, love isn't actually a thing. And so suffering, therefore, in that worldview is meaningless. There is no meaning to suffering. Even this question is dumb. There's a second view, and this one's more prevalent in people's behavior and activities, and that's this. Suffering is getting your just desserts. Suffering is the cosmos or the gods or the universe or God uh, giving you what you deserve. Uh, others might put it as, uh, uh, what's that, karma. That obviously you've done something to deserve this. And both of these views, what's the end of suffering, don't actually have an end in mind. There's no point to it. There's there's no real reason for it. It's it's either the uh, execution of cosmic justice. By the way, I just want to say for some of us who have not like actually truly, deeply, profoundly suffered, do you feel like you're getting away with something? Like does this actually ring true, this idea that it's our just desserts? And, and, And put it on the flip side. Have you not known people who have suffered so greatly and yet you say things like, why would God let them suffer? They're such a good person. Right? I mean, I understand letting Garth Brooks suffer, but this person. Mm. Let's take a look at the text. Paul continues on. What has happened to me? What, what had happened to him? There was, there was two things. Remember the first one? He was imprisoned, right? And we know that that meant like getting his face kicked in all the time, frequently, okay? And then the second thing was he was torn away from those he loved. You guys with me on that? So he was, he was ripped apart from uh, his, his, his circle, his network, his family, so to speak, and he was being abused and betrayed. And by the way, was he justly imprisoned? So for those of us that know a little bit about Paul's life, he was not justly in prison. The reason that he got in prison was because he was trying to share the love of God with people out loud. And so he is the victim of an unjust, corrupt system, 
and he's getting physically beaten and tortured, and he's being ripped apart from the people that he loves. What has actually happened to me? What had happened to him? Everything we just said. Now, chickity chickity check. Has actually advanced the gospel. This sounds like he's putting like a positive spin on it, right? This is ridiculous. Let's keep going. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else. <laughs> this might be hyperbole, but do you see what he's saying here? It, the, 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 the gospel, has been, it's become known throughout everybody that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. This is what he's saying. I am suffering for doing good. And the people that are doing the abuse to me, they're actually seeing that the reason is because of God at work in me. Something is up. Something's happening in my suffering. What the author here is pointing to is that there is some greater purpose to my suffering than just me being the product of random chance and suffering being meaningless or some form of karma. See, what the author here is pointing to is there is some reason for the suffering. You guys see it? All right, let's go. As we continue on through the text, there's four key reasons that you find. We'll put them up here on the screen. As we think about what is the end of suffering. Now, TV time out. This is not an exhaustive list. And I, have, I never have ever had a clue as to why God would bring specific suffering into my life or specific suffering into your life. This is not meant to be a diagnostic tool for you to take and speak into people's lives that are suffering. You, okay, you guys with me on this? I'm gonna tell you something. When someone is crying out, why God? The answer is not, well, it's one of four possible options. <laughs> the answer is never a lecture. It's always an embrace. And empathy says, I don't know why, but I'm here. Okay, so are you guys with me? So I'm going into this just to kind of give us, so here's probably what we're going to do just for the next few minutes. We're going to do a little lecture, and we're going to do a little sermon. You guys with me? Here we go. One of the reasons that God might use suffering in our lives is to deepen our relationship with him and with others. I was talking to somebody the other day whose company was on the verge of collapse. He's one of the owners of the company. And then something had happened to them. It was a great injustice. It, it happened to them. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's going to shut the company down. And he was working 16-hour days, small business, trying to keep things afloat. But one of the things he said was, when, when I, it, uh, I've been married for 16 years, this is the closest I've ever been with my wife, because I'm giving to her. This suffering is causing me to give to her pieces of myself that I was intentionally hiding from her. And you see it in marriage, you see it in friendship, you see it in child-parent relationships. One of the things suffering can do, doesn't always do, oftentimes it doesn't, one of the things it can do is deepen our relationships. Some of you, your relationships, some of your deepest relationships were not forged at parties, but at funerals. Y'all with me? So one of the reasons may be that it's to deepen relationships. The second, suffering reveals what's real. You know there's a lot of facade out there, don't you? Westerners, Facebookers, Twitter-spherers, selfie-takers. You know there's a lot of fake out there, don't you? Yeah, you know there's a lot of fake in your life, too. 
Most of us have faked it at least a dozen times before we got in the room today. But suffering, suffering burns away all the pretense. It can. And it can cause us to be real. Because the pretense doesn't matter anymore when we're engaged in suffering. The fake, it's not doing us any good. Suffering may, may be used by God to reveal what's real. It melts away the distractions. And it reveals what's true about who you are and about who God is. Uh, one of my um, favorite professors, he and his wife had been married for decades. She had a degenerative bone disease that made it so that even when they would embrace, it was very hard on her body. She would oftentimes break bones and they would not heal. And there was a season in life, I remember being in class, there was a season where the doctors were saying, we're gonna have to amputate her arm. And so he rolls into class saying, oh, you guys can pray for me because earlier today we took pictures of us hugging because I think that's the last time we're gonna hug. You guys with me so far? And he talked to one of his friends who was a Congolese pastor in the, uh, the DRC the, uh, in Congo who had lost his leg to a mine years ago. And the way that he would get around is he would get around on crutches. But because of this thing that happened to him, this Congolese pastor, he believed that God not only revealed himself to him and revealed who he truly was, it also opened many doors to minister to others. And he would refer to, people would say, oh my goodness, how'd you lose your leg? He said, I didn't lose my leg, I gained a one-legged blessing. Because God used this in my life. He gave me a one-legged blessing. And he said to Steve, my professor, it may be that God wants to give your wife a one-armed blessing. And that's so contrary to the way that we, as Western individualistic consumers, think about how suffering works in our lives. But what this Congolese pastor knew is this, is that it reveals what's real. Suffering will oftentimes be used by God to reveal what's real about you. And there's a third one. It sculpts our character. Just as those who make statues take the chisel and the hammer to the stone and sculpt away all the pieces, causing the stone a great deal of pain, so too it may be that God has brought suffering, allowed suffering into your life to shape your character. Let me tell you this much. Righteousness is rarely grown at parties. And fourthly, it focuses the soul. Suffering focuses the soul. When you go to weddings, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about dinner. Right? You're wondering if the happy hour, if, if it's cash bar or if they actually splurged, you know. But when you go to a funeral, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the existential dread. You're thinking about the call of the abyss. You're thinking about the deepest questions that we could possibly ask, like who am I? What's my purpose? Am I fulfilling that purpose? You see, suffering, when it is brought into our lives, it can be used by God to focus the soul because all of our souls are focused somewhere and God might be screaming to us in our pain, look to me. We see in Jesus that suffering is not meaningless and it is not some sort of 
karmic retribution. Because contrary to the materialistic view of the world, there is some sort of divine reason that suffering exists, which means the suffering that you've gone through, the suffering that you've endured, the pain that's been brought into your life, there is a point to it. And secondly, contrary to the the idea of karma, that suffering that's been brought into your life is not some form of retribution for something that you've done. I believe that it is being used by God to do something in your life, as painful as it is. And oftentimes, when we look back on our lives, this isn't always the case, but there are many times when we look back on our lives and we see the beauty that's been produced through the suffering. In my experience, one of the most vivid ways that I see this, especially in my, uh, my community here in Phoenix, is through the, t- the tradition of what many would call the black church. Uh, I've been so helped by an author named Jamar Tisby, who's a historian, and he chronicles over 400 years of history of racism in the church in the country I call home. And one of the things that Tisby showcases is that interwovenness between racism and the church, my profession as well. And one of the things that Tisby says is this, I think this is fascinating, The entire church, TV timeout, if you follow Jesus, guess who that means? Guess who that includes? Y'all. You with me? So y'all can learn from believers who have suffered. What was the word he just used? Suffered, yet still hold on to God's unchanging hand. Black theology can teach the American church not just how to lament, but how to rejoice as well. The exuberant vocal and bodily expressions common in much of black worship represent a faith that celebrates God's goodness in equal measure with lament over humanity's sinfulness. Do you see what Tisby's saying here? I think this is so vibrant and beautiful. That even in the posture of many of our black brothers and sisters, when they worship, you see in the body and in the voice this bringing together of lament mourning over evil, injustice, sin, and suffering, and simultaneous, an elevation of God's goodness, strength, beauty, and power. We can all learn from that. And many of my brothers and sisters who grew up in the black church tradition, you gotta, you gotta teach us more. Because some of us grew up in traditions that did not hold these things together. It was just all celebration all the time. Because we never had to face the reality of systemic suffering. And we can see it not only in different communities, but also in different people's lives. I remember seated right over here. I was standing next to a woman who I knew she was, uh, it had been less than a year that her uh, infant child had died. And we were standing right there, standing next to each other singing, it is well with my soul. We can see it in communities and we can see it in people that God will oftentimes bring beauty out of the suffering. But that's not the question ain't any of us asking if we're suffering, is it? Lecture's over. Let's do the sermon. This is the question that we're asking. How do we endure the suffering now? Like, cool, that like later it's going to be beautiful and wonderful and there's going to be a purpose. What about right now? 
It feels like hell on earth now. I could barely get myself out of bed today. Right now, I've been thinking about leaving this whole morning. The person who's hurting me sitting next to me. What about right now? How do we endure suffering? Two questions. When we face suffering, two questions. You could write these down, you could memorize them, you could put them on your phone, take a picture, whatever. Two questions. The first question is this Who am I? I don't mean me, I mean you. Who am I? When the suffering comes into my life, it calls into question who I am. Let's see what the author says. Remember, the author is one who's suffering, writing to a group of people who are suffering. Look at what he says. Listen to to how he refers to them. You, as what? Citizens of what? Citizens ascribed to hell, is that what he says? No, citizens that I'm indifferent to? No, citizens that have nothing to do with God's power or prevalence or, or, or kingdom? What does he say? You, who are citizens of what? Heaven, this is another way to say you as members of the household of God, you as sons and daughters of the king and creator of the universe, you as people who have been made with inherent dignity, worth, and value in the image of God, you, citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Who am I? When we face suffering in our lives, we have to go back to who Jesus says we are. We are his. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us to our own devices. He has not left us in the dust. He has not betrayed us over to the evil one. He has not ascribed us to the kingdom of darkness. He, Jesus Christ, has rescued us out of the darkness, bringing us into his glorious light, and the suffering that we endure never changes who we are. The suffering that you experience and I experience does not change who we are. And so when we endure suffering, we ask this question, who am I? I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I'm a member of God's house. I'm a lo- I'm beloved child of God. And the second question is this. Who is with me? Oh, this is powerful. Where was Paul, the author of Philippians? Where was he? He was in prison. What was happening to him every week? He was getting his face kicked in. Who was he not with? The people that he longed to be with, right? His, his people, his posse, his family. He was abandoned, alone, subject to a corrupt system, frequently physically and emotionally traumatized. And listen to what Paul says next. I will continue to rejoice. Stupid. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're only supposed to rejoice when things are going well for your life, right? When you're healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's what Jesus promised, isn't it? No. Remember that thing he said? This guy, Jesus. He was always like, take up your uh, couch and follow me. You guys remember that? Take up that fat bank account and follow me. Take up that comfy life and follow me. No, what's he say? Take up your cross and follow me. The way of Jesus is the way that leads us not, not, to, not to blind ourselves to suffering. Oftentimes, Jesus is calling us to enter into the suffering that we refuse to see out in the world. I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ, for to me, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that, that's, that's, a, that's one, of the, one of the most infamous phrases of Paul, but it's oftentimes misunderstood. Let me just give it to you this way. Paul, writing from prison to a group of people who are being also uh, abused, being brought through suffering, Paul says this, you wanna know who's with you right now? 
The Spirit of Christ dwells within you. You are not alone now. So I'm going to give it to you like, like this. Last week was, uh, what's that Sunday every year where the bunnies, what's the, th- Christmas? No, Easter, 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 that's right. Okay, so Easter, last week was Easter. And one of the things that we celebrate a couple of days before Easter is Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took on a Roman cross and died for us. He, Jesus, was subject to the abuses of a corrupt judicial system. He, Jesus, was abandoned by those closest to him. He, Jesus, was left completely and utterly alone. He, Jesus, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like the Middle Eastern man standing over the rubble of his home, he cries out, why, God? And so when you pray, You pray to one who not only knows what it's like to suffer, you pray to a God who took on flesh and suffered himself. This is one of the reasons why we know that suffering can't be meaningless, because God has suffered for you and for me. And who is with you? The Jesus who is not only subject to suffering, but the Jesus who conquered over Satan's sin and death, who rose from the grave and stands right now with you. The Spirit of God is with you. Do you know that today? I'm gonna leave you with this. Ann Voskamp, she's an amazing author and teacher. She says this in her book, 1,000 Gifts. One of the things she's doing is processing the senseless death of her sister. And she says this. If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything you need? You tell me. If trust must be earned, hasn't gone unequivocally earned our trust? With the bark on the raw wounds, the thorns pressed into the brow, your name on his cracked lips, how will he not also graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He has already given you. Friends, look at me now. Do you not know that he has already given you the incomprehensible? Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of such a broken and messed up world that is far from you, we sense even in this moment our desperate need for you. And in the midst of our suffering, Lord, would you bring us peace. Give us endurance and strength that we might live a life worthy of the gospel even in the midst of suffering, knowing who we are, who you are, and that you are with us. We pray this knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring it about. In Jesus' name, amen.